1: Welcome to Nightlight, Light, everybody. Thanks so much for sharing your day with us. We really appreciate it. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk first for his amazing intro. Please, please, please check him out on the Internet. He and his wife are Native storytellers, and they preserve history and cosmology in a whole new different way, in a whole new different light, one that hopefully all of us are open to, better than dusty old books, although dusty old books do hold a great deal of information, too. So check him out. I have a special, special guest today. I have Rabbi Wayne Dosick with me, and he's written an amazing book called Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. In the challenging times we live in today, there's an ominous sense that the world is breaking apart. Long-held, comfortable beliefs are being shattered, and we face an unprecedented and we face unprecedented questions and challenges. This book is a compelling appraisal of the state of our present-day world and a bold, visionary, spirit-filled blueprint for its transformation and evolution through radical loving and awesome holiness. With the fervent urgency of a biblical prophet, Rabbi Dasik asks, how do we heal the harsh divisions of class, race, religion, and cultures that plague us? How do we vanquish sexism, rigid fundamentalism, unabashed nationalism, senseless hatred, and violent terrorism? How do we save our precious planet from the threats to its very existence? How do we restore civility, decency, grace, and dignity to our lives? In this book is a bold, visionary, spirit-filled blueprint for the redemption, transformation, and evolution of our emerging new world, through radical loving and a day-to-day sense of the sacred. With age-old wisdom wrapped in contemporary garb, sweet, inspiring stories, keen insights, and gentle guidance, radical loving is a call to renewal and to oneness, a promise that earth can again, once again, be Eden. Rabbi Dossik teaches and counsels about faith, ethical values, life transformations, and evolving human consciousness. He's well known for his quality scholarship in Sacred Spirit, and is the rabbi of the Elijah Minion, a retired visiting professor at the University of San Diego, and the host of the monthly internet radio program, Spirit Talk, Heard on HeavenlyLife.net. He's a best-selling author and an award-winning author of nine critically acclaimed books, and the author of more than 400 articles of religious, political, and social commentary. He's also a sought-after speaker and has been interviewed on more than 300 radio and television shows, including Good Morning America, The Larry King Show, CNN, NPR, and last but not least, Nightlight Radio. Welcome to the show, Rabbi Dosik.
2: Well, thank you, thank you. What an introduction. My late father would have been very proud and my late mother wouldn't have believed it. So thank you very much.
1: (laughs) That's what happens when people really... Don't pay attention to what becomes their comasphitis or their bio; they just do life experiences, and then when somebody puts it all together, it's oh my god, that's embarrassing
2: yeah. so well, very kind of you, very, very kind, thank you
1: All of it richly deserved and as I told you before, this book has touched my my heart and my spirit tremendously, and it's a book that I think everybody should read i I'd like to make it mandatory reading in in your know, freshman college courses to be honest with you um it's it's material that people need to hear that need to know and it's it's not um it, it it does not adhere to any particular religion it's a spiritual awakening book has nothing to do with a religion and much like the man that i i one one time i i and i when i served in the pulpit i did baptisms spiritual baptisms with flowers for people and I invited everybody who wanted to be baptized in spirit to come forward. And one man came and came up, and he, when he stood before me, he said, I'm an atheist. And I said, I don't care. And he said, I don't believe in God. And I said, that's all right. He believes in you.
0: And, you
1: know, it's kind of like, sure, believe what you want. If that's your journey this lifetime, but there is belief in you as a human spirit. So I it's it's. A miraculous book and i can't you know i I told you I've, i've bought it in bulk to give it as gifts um it's that precious a book and as as we were speaking before we came on air um it was just published but it was not just written so tell us a little bit about the journey the book has taken to get to this point in time
2: well first of all thank you thank you again for your very very kind words uh I am honored and humbled. Thank you, really. Uh, I'm, I'm very touched. Thank you. Um, this book had its genesis all the way back in 2016. Uh, I had always wanted to go. I live in San Diego. I'm from Chicago originally. And I had always wanted to go to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So one one Thanksgiving time I said to my wife, Ellen, let's go to New York. Let's, let's just do it. So we did. And uh, we wanted to get a traditional Thanksgiving uh, uh, dinner. So we went to a kosher deli in between times. Not lunchtime, not dinner time, but 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, something like that, so it wouldn't be too crowded. So we come in, and there's the regular menu, and then there are printed cards with the Thanksgiving Day menu. And that's the menu that I'm interested in because I want turkey and cranberries and all the regular stuff. And um, so our waiter came, and remember it's a kosher restaurant, and I'm wearing a yarmulke, a kippah, meaning that clearly I'm identifying as Jewish. The waiter came up, whose name was Mohammed, and he took our order and went to the kitchen to put it in. And then, without, without a word, he came and pulled up a chair and sat down next to us at our table and started talking. This was November of 2016, just after the United States presidential election. And Mohammed said to us, I'm very, very worried, I'm very concerned about the election of this new president because of the Muslim ban that he is wants to institute, and because of all the things he is saying about the other, and he seems to be demonizing us. And I'm just a regular guy, I'm here making a living, I'm trying to make a nice home for my wife and my children. I want my children to get a good education. My parents are here, and I want them to have a uh, a nice retirement and and to be uh, comfortable in their old age. And my brothers and sisters are doing the same thing. We're just trying to make a living. Why do people not like us? Why is he saying such bad things about us? And this went on not only about him and his family, but about his community. And he said to us, why? Why is this happening? Please, you're Americans from from birth, I could tell. Please explain this to me. And I thought that Muhammad deserved an answer. And that was the genesis of this book. And you know as a writer that inspiration comes from everywhere. And as Mm -hmm. I was uh, sitting there listening to him, I began to get the only thing I can call it is a download. Uh, Call it inspiration, call, call it whatever you want. Um, my wife has witnessed this uh, often before. And um, I said, please, I had a pen in my pocket. I said, please give me a piece of paper. He just turned over one of the Thanksgiving Day menus and I started writing. I just started writing and I don't remember exactly what I was writing, although I still have those notes. And I kept writing and he kept handing me backs of uh, menus. And that was the original ideas for this book. And then it took many turns. I, I wrote the book and uh, tried t- to find a publisher, and publishing is slow. And then came the, the – I got a wonderful, wonderful publisher, Monkfish Publishing in Rhinebeck, New York, a tremendous spiritual publisher. But, you know, the publishing process takes a while because there are other books in the queue ahead of you. And then came the pandemic, and the publication date was put back almost a year and then another month or two. And so it's taken a long time for this book to get here. But it feels as if it's exactly the right timing, and so spiritual guidance knows what it's doing in terms of what I thought on the on the this world level was taking way too long, but on the spiritual level was probably just perfect.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it it speaks so. I, I it's it is a spiritual book. There's no doubt about that. But but it speaks. To the heart and spirit of everyone, no matter what their belief system. So this is this is, um, you know, you you have obviously you are a rabbi, you are of Jewish faith, but but you know I I come from a different background, and it touched me. It, it there was nothing in this book that said, oh he's going one way or the other, because it's not. And you you bring it down to the bare bones. You bring it down to the fact that that um you know we all are the same we all have a sp- uh, a part of the infinite within us that if we see that part of the infinite relate to it and connect to it that life will be better and more beautiful
2: well and, it is a book it is a book for people of all religions and of no religion of all faiths uh-huh, and of mm-hmm. no faith because in this book everything is sacred and nothing is sacred Um, the reality is that the core principle teaching of this book is the oneness of all humanity. We are all one. Uh, There is one God, and we are all children of that one God, that one God who created us and says to us, I am the parent of you all. I love you all. I don't play any favorites. You are all equal in my eyes. And uh, the little earth differences that you think make such a big difference make no difference at all. Uh, in who you are as human beings, as children of the universe, as children of the divine, and I hope you uh, will I love you and I hope you will love me, and I hope you will learn to love each other. That's the key principle of this book, and that's a principle for every human being
1: oh absolutely and what I found fabulous was um, you took it you, you took it all the way back to creation and God creating the world, and, you know, if you can go into that, because I think it's, it's, you, in so many spiritual books, the element of the infinite, the creator of God, of whatever name you want to give to that energy, um, it's always so reverent, it's always so holy, it's always so, I don't know, almost untouchable. You make God touchable, which is wonderful.
2: Well, you know, God's our parent, and our mother, our father, and with my parents of blessed memory, I wanted to have not a distant relationship, but an intimate relationship. And God is the most intimate relationship we can possibly have. And therefore, um, God does not seem far away to me. God does not seem... A distant or untouchable, or this image that we have of some king sitting on a throne um, being authoritarian and hierarchical and making uh, uh harsh decisions, no, I want to be able to have pillow talk with my god the in- mm-hmm. the uh, the the goal is for each human being to have a deep personal, intimate loving relationship with God. And so, in the garden, when God created, you know, first, first, first the, the story is, and I tell this story in the book, it's an old, ancient story, that God had finished the first five days of creation, and the angels came to him and said, and to her, and said, uh, Congratulations, God, you did a great, great job. What a wonderful world you have created. Earth is beautiful. Uh, it's, it's lovely. Congratulations on being done with your, with your creation. And God said, no, 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 there's there's tomorrow, there's the sixth day. And they said, well, what are you going to do on the sixth day? And God said, well, first I'm going to create the animals, and then I'm going to create human beings, man and woman. And the angels thought for a minute, and they said, God, please don't do it. Don't create human (laughs) beings. God said, why not? And And the angels said, because the human beings will eventually... Uh, rape your land and pollute your skies and dig up all your beautiful minerals and cut down your gorgeous trees and trample your forests and they will be able they will begin to hate each other and compete with each other and fight with each other and kill each other and spill their blood on their beautiful on your beautiful earth. Don't do it, don't do it. And God said, Well, thank you, angels, for your your advice and and for having my best interest at heart, but I am going to create human beings tomorrow because I've created this beautiful earth, and without human beings there to talk to, I'd be way too lonely. And so God created human beings, and indeed, then then the divine said to us, okay, here you are, here you are, I've created you, I know you, I know you intimately, and I'm going to give you this set of rules by which to behave with each other and you will have a good life. It will be wonderful. And immediately, uh, one of the human beings, two of the human, the first two human beings, uh, again, this is all metaphorical, of course, um, mm-hmm. uh, violated those rules, separated from, from God, separated from Eden. We've been in spiritual exile ever since. And um, that lost the connection, the oneness connection, And at the same time, the the human beings who came after uh, didn't listen to the rules, and we have paid the consequences ever since.
1: And we continue to. And I think the one thing that that always has amazed me is that at the very foundation, at the very core, at the very base of every religion or spiritual organization out there is the golden rule. And if you If you just even paid attention to that, we would have a better life, a better
2: world, and not so only that, pay attention, so that, attention to it, not only pay attention to it, Barbara, but interpret it in the right way. So for example, you and I've just met in the last twenty four hours, but I already uh-huh. know you're a wonderful human being, and you care about things deeply and care about things that are very, very important. So let's say that we were in the same town and we're friendly. And um, for some reason, you're unhappy, depressed, angry. And I say to myself, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. So I say, well, you know, if I were angry, if I were depressed, I would like to go to a baseball game. So I'll get Barbara tickets to to the baseball game. And doing unto others as I would like others to do unto me and you're appreciative but you don't like baseball so much you would much rather have tickets to the symphony or the ballet or to a nascar NASCAR car race or whatever it is that you love and so i was was trying to be helpful but i wasn't quite helpful enough because i didn't really understand who you are so the other the other uh, rule that everybody has seemed to have adopted is love your neighbor as yourself But I reinterpret that sentence to say, love your neighbor, period. He, she is just like you as a human being and has needs and wants and desires that can be communal but are also individual. And so if I'm going to love you as I love myself, I have to love you as you want to be loved.
1: Yeah, big difference. Big difference. By the way, you would have had me with baseball. Um,
2: (laughs) Well, you you moved to a city that doesn't have any. I know
1: <laughs> Yankees are still out there, um, but it, it 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 is it is so imperative that people begin to understand this. I think we're at a at a at a time where it's important that people begin to understand the oneness that we have, as opposed to the separatistness. that the, the you know politically speaking, and and I mean all of these different. Groups out there trying you know, celebrating their difference, but forgetting about their oneness. And you know, everybody is unique, absolutely, but but that doesn't mean that that spiritually speaking they're different because they're not. There 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 is the same spark, identical spark within each and every individual that that unites us and. You, you talk about about the face of God being everywhere. It makes a great deal of sense, and and it's it's not an easy thing to do, but but it's an important thing to do, especially in these times of such division.
2: Well, you're absolutely right, and I have three responses. So if I uh, take too long in in these responses, just break in and and um, interrupt me. Okay. The first response okay. is yes. The face of God is in every human being. When you look in the mirror, you see not just your, your um, physical being, but you see the face of God. And that means that if you look at the face of another human being, you see the face of God. And the only possible response to seeing the face of God is love. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is that every human being, reflects the face of God. Every human being is a child of God. And so um, when, for example, you're standing in line at the bank and the teller is taking forever, or you go into the convenience store and the teenage clerk can't make change for a dollar bill without using a calculator, or somebody cuts you off in traffic, that's another human being. And instead of fuming or being angry or frustrated, then say, okay, that's another human being, and I see the face of God in that human being, and they, they may be having a bad day, or maybe doesn't have those skills, uh, or maybe maybe anything. And so instead of seeing um, someone who is frustrating you, you see a, a child of God who has the face of God, and you love that person because the only response to the face of God is love. So that's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is that oneness is not sameness. So I taught for 17 years at the University of San Diego, which is a private diocesan Catholic liberal arts university. I taught the only courses in Jewish studies in the Department of Religion at this university. Now, this is a tremendous, tremendous leap because I grew up in the old south side of Chicago, in what had been a Polish Catholic steelworker's neighborhood. A few Jewish people moved in in the late 40s and the early 50s. And in the early 50s when I was young and we were all playing on the playground together, we all played together, and then we went to public school and the Catholic kids went to the local parish school. And by the time I was 7 or 8 or 9, I was being beaten up on a regular basis by the kids who would learn directly from their priests and nuns that I, Wayne Doss, I had personally killed their lord. Uh. Now, fast forward to high school, when I was maybe 15, 16, somewhere in there, and I'm passing between classes. In the, my, my high school looked like a uh, uh, five-story prison, those red bricks of <laughs> Chicago buildings. And we're passing between these five floors, between first-floor gym and fifth-floor science lab. And this girl runs up to me in the hall and says, Wayne, 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 I forgive you, I forgive you. Now, I imagine there were some girls in that high school who had reason to forgive me for something, but she was not one of them. So I said, Bonnie, what is it? What is it? She said, I forgive you for killing Christ. I said, what are you talking about? That was 2,000 years ago. He was a nice Jewish boy who made good. Uh, I wasn't there. I didn't know him. And besides that, the Jews didn't kill Christ. It was the Romans. No, 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 she said. I just heard on my little transistor radio, remember those transistor radios? Uh-huh. I just heard on my little transistor radio, the Pope said we could forgive the Jews for killing Christ, so I forgive you. That, that was Vatican II and Pope John Twenty Third. Fast forward a little bit more, and I'm a rabbi on a faculty of a Catholic university, teaching courses in Jewish studies and being invited to preach from the pulpit of the Immaculata, standing next to a statue of Jesus. And one of my closest and dearest friends in the entire world is a Jesuit priest. Now, Father O'Leary does not want me to be Catholic, nor do I want him to be Jewish. We understand that there is far more that unites us than divides us. And yet, we see in our oneness, we see not, not sameness. Because we come, to, we, we come to God in the same way, from God to God, and yet we build different pathways. All of us build different pathways. Each religion, each, each faith community uh, builds a different pathway. Some are long, some are short, some are quiet, some are raucous, some sing, some are silent, some uh, are, are gaily decorated, some are stark. It's all the same. We, we There's beauty, there's beauty, there's beauty in the, the differences of the tapestries that we weave together. So I love going oh. to Mass. And he came to our high holiday services, and you know, on Yom Kippur, we—it's uh, one time a year that we ask for uh, contributions. Now we don't take money those days; we see, we hand out pledge cards. And uh, the year that I had Father O'Leary hand out the pledge cards, we raised more money than in any, any other year. A good priest <laughs> knows how to collect, make a collection. Um,
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so
2: so um, we we understand and, and recognize our differences, but but we know that there's uh, the sameness. Uh, that that is, is Is not oneness The, the sameness is is, uh, is is so different And uh, therefore we love each other We love each other And I, well, I know I I've so. been talking a long time There's a third thing I want to tell you But go ahead and ask oh, you oh. your next question Maybe we'll get back to it Oh
1: no, go for your third thing i got lots oh, of time
2: Well the third thing is that America used to be A front porch community You know You mentioned the Yankees. I grew up in Chicago. The rivalry in my childhood between the Yankees and the White Sox was the rivalry. So I remember remember one uh, weekend series, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the Yankees were in town, and everybody, everybody on my whole block was sitting on the front porch holding those little transistor radios, cheering, cheering for the White Sox. And that year, the White Sox happened to win the American League pennant. And Mayor Daly, the first Mayor Daly, who taught us to vote early, vote often, um, mm-hmm. which used to be a joke and these days doesn't seem to be, no. uh, set off the air raid siren because everybody in the community knew what had happened. The White Sox had just won the pennant, except for my grandmother, she should rest in peace, who had come from Ukraine, and she thought the Russians were invading. This was the middle of the Cold War. Uh, no. Nevertheless, that, the united the whole city, united the whole city, uh, front porch community. And then, even though I love baseball and I love labor unions on which the country was built, came along free agency in the early 70s, and yeah. no longer did most players care about their teams and their cities. We've known them all. You know, they weren't making gigantic salaries. So during the winter, many of them worked at a local insurance company, a local car lot. They came to the churches and the synagogues and the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and uh, gave talks and signed autographs. And one of the guys, his grandma, lived in our community. So whenever he came to visit grandma, he'd throw out a couple balls in the playground and once in a while even hit us batting practice. It was amazing. We knew them all. Somebody yeah. got traded. The whole city went into to mourning. So what happened now is... It's not the good of the team or the good of the city, but me, 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 my statistics, my uh, my uh, higher salary. The next time I sell myself to the next highest bidder, and it, conversely, it became the not me society. Not me, not me. I'm not responsible. Even if my bloody footprints are all over the murder scene, not me. I'm the victim. I'm not. I'm not responsible. And so we have become instead of the motto of the United States, E Pluribus Unum, out of many one, we have become this patchwork quilt of, frayed patchwork quilt of special interests, of selfishness, and of, of individuality. And that has been so harmful, because the only way that we will succeed as a society is to get it together. The only way... That we will succeed is to strive not for individual needs, but for the highest good, the common good, the greatest good. And that's what we're missing right now.
1: You're right. And so your book has come out at a perfect time. I mean, couldn't have been more perfect if you had planned it.
2: And what happened was, of course, the pandemic. I wrote this book as aspirational this is what could be. And so the pandemic hit, and what could be hit us smack in the face as reality. And I write, I wrote an afterward to address the pandemic and to address the racial unrest that had been going on in the country. And oh, there, yeah. I say, you know, it's very, very simple. Here it is, right in our faces. We have, uh, we have choices. We can say, I hope the company, the, the country reopens. Because I have a tremendous economic need to feed my family and my pizza store uh, or my nail salon is the only way that I can feed my family and there's this tremendous need. Or we can say, the country better reopen because who are you to take away my right to go to a bar to go dancing or go to the beach to get a suntan? Individual needs versus the highest... Common good, and we saw it over and over again, and it's the same thing with masks. I have individual rights, I have freedoms. you can't tell me to wear a mask. well, the <laughs> individual needs may say that the individual rights may say that, but you know we've tempered individual rights. The Supreme Court has said your right uh, Uh, ends at at, at, uh, the beginning of my nose. And uh, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because that's not for the common good. So it's the same thing here. Don't wear a mask, then infect yourself and infect others. You wear a mask not because it's convenient or because you love doing it or because you love breathing in your own carbon monoxide, but you do it because it's for the common good. The more people who wear masks, the sooner the disease goes away. Get a vaccination, because the people who get vaccinated have immunity. We don't know for how long, but at least right now. I don't Uh want to get vaccinated. You can't make me get vaccinated. Okay. So be susceptible to disease, be susceptible to getting this dread, horrid disease, and be susceptible to giving it to others. Where is your commitment? To your individual right or to the common good, the greatest good, the highest good of your community?
1: It does. It does smack us in the face. It does. It puts us back in, in many ways about to the, the time of the plagues, you know. And this is a plague. They call it a pandemic. I call it a plague. You're right. um, and and it 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 has culled the population tremendously. I don't know if that was their intent or not, but that's it, what it's done. And it's made us all. So much more aware of our our um, our lives it's it's it didn't used to be that you could walk outside and you know be in fear of catching a disease that would kill you today that is there, and I think in a way it it makes us all step back we We spoke earlier um i I really feel that this has been a wake up call this has been a time where. We've been isolated for a purpose, and there are parts of this world that are still in lockdown. It's not, you know, the United States has sort of come out of it, but um, I think it's Switzerland is still in lockdown, So so that there are places on this world that are still locked down in fear, and I think this has given us an opportunity to go inside of ourselves to discover our spirit, to discover our our love of our of our world and ourselves and our family and our friends and and in in a way it's helped us all to put our priorities in another place so that if we're lucky there's greater appreciation for life as we know it but it's going to be a different world there's no doubt about it
2: and if you could go outside during the pandemic even if it was to just stand in your own backyard you saw clear, much clearer skies than when we were driving all around and polluting the, the atmosphere. And we oh, had absolutely. mountain lions walking in the streets of Los Angeles and dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice, which was a, 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 an alert to us that we have to share this beautiful earth of ours with the animals who were here actually before we were, and it's mm-hmm. uh, their land too. So there are so many lessons. You are so right. There's so many lessons that we've learned out of this, and you just never ever know. You never know. Had, was this a divine plan to teach us these lessons? It was only 30 years ago or so that that the personal computer was invented, and 20 years ago, uh, the smartphone. And 10 or 15 years ago, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those kinds of things. Was God preparing us for this pandemic and giving us the tools to use to stay in touch and not be isolated? Because think of what it would have been. Think of what it would have been without television, without radio. We're talking 50, 60 years of invention here. Without radio, without television without the personal computer, without social media, without our smartphones, we would have been totally isolated and totally alone. So maybe, who knows? You know, there's this um, there's this touching passage in the Bible where you remember the story of Joseph. You're the minister, you know. The story of uh-huh. Joseph where uh the brothers were so angry at him and he fled and and he, he there a whole long story he became the chancellor uh the vice chancellor of Egypt and saved the world from uh famine and yet the brothers were so um they, so they treated the, the brothers had treated him so poorly so finally when he and the brothers confront each other near the end of the story the brothers are very, very afraid that this powerful man is going to take revenge on them for what they had done to him in his youth. And he looks at them and he says, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Ah, you intended it for you, God meant it for good. In other words, there's a divine plan. And the divine plan what? was higher than higher than um, the the evil that the, the brothers had done to him. So maybe, 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 if this pandemic was going to come to teach us various lessons, then maybe, maybe, maybe the invention of all these uh, electronics that kept us together during the pandemic was part of the plan that was meant for evil, but God meant it for good.
1: Well, I think there's always a, a, the matter of perspective. It's, it's sort of like you can you can look upon something as it's horrible, it's miserable. I'm going to suffer, yah yah yeah. Or you can say this gives me a chance to really do some stuff that I hadn't been able to do before. I can organize. I can read books. I can get on the you know I can I can I can do interviews on the on the internet. I don't have to have a person sitting right next to me. In many ways depending on how you looked upon it, this has been either an amazing time or a horrible time. It's horrible because people are dying. I got that. I don't ever want to belittle that fact. I know people who died. But but at the same time, for the rest of us, it's made us look inside. It's made us reach into our own creativity, our own, our own link with the infinite and the, and the inspiration that comes from that. It's it's enriched us in a way that I don't think most people are paying attention to yet.
2: You're absolutely right. And a couple of weeks ago I had a publication party for this new book. Every every previous book, the people who came to the publication party were the people who were within an hour driving distance. At this publication uh-huh. party, because of Zoom, we had people from, from Israel and Norway and Hong Kong and England and uh, all over the United States who came because they could come on Zoom. Amazing, isn't it?
1: It it is. And, and, you know, every tragedy, and and I don't care how tragic it is, every tragedy has the potential for great richness and and love. And and sometimes it's hard to search for it. I mean, in many cases, people who have lost children for one reason or another have turned around and created... um, uh, organizations that will benefit children who have that same disease or that same problem I mean every it, it it's it's our perspective, and if we look upon something as you know if somebody steals something from me, I can either either go, woe is me, that's horrible now I'm missing this and you know or I can say, you know they probably needed it more than I did
2: mm-hmm.
1: so maybe it's a benefit to their lives and There is such a thing as karma. There is such a thing as balance in the universe. Sometimes we don't see it, but it's there.
2: And, and of course, that's our Mm -hmm. our personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in the grocery store the other day, and the the clerk at the register said to me, "Um, Would you like to donate $5 for a food bag for the people in the neighborhood? Now, I had been standing in that line. There were three people ahead of me. She'd ask each one of them, and each one said no. And I said, of course. Uh And she said, well, thank you so much for your great generosity. And I said, there there are no thanks necessary uh, because this is not a random act of kindness. This is not my generosity. This is the responsibility, the obligation of one human being taking care of another human being who is in need. Uh And uh, she said, wow, I never heard it that way. You never heard it that way, lady. You're 50 yeah. years old. You should have heard it from the time you're five.
1: Yeah. I uh, well.
2: I I, t- I tell a story always. I was in New York once. Um, I was walking around 42nd and Madison. Anybody who knows New York knows I was going to Brooks Brothers. So <laughs> it was a cold, <laughs> it was a cold, wet, damp day, sort of rainy and, and yucky, and um I was I was uh, wearing a uh, a hat and a scarf and gloves and a trench coat and I was carrying a leather briefcase and uh, I see a and, and whenever I'm in New York I always keep dollar bills in my pockets to uh, to hand out to people on the streets uh-huh. who are asking. Now I know you know there's some people who say that's a terrible thing to do. They're just going to use it for liquor or drugs or cigarettes or whatever. And you know I say if that's what gets them through they certainly can have my dollar, right? Um, So I see this woman holding a baby, sitting on this wet ground, and her sign says, I'm a starving artist. My baby and I are hungry. Can you please help us? So I reach in. My raincoat had uh, one of those slit pockets where I could reach into my pants pocket, right? And I reach in, and I didn't have any more dollar bills. I was out. I obviously had given them all out. So now I'm going to, to explain to you. It'll take thirty years, seconds or sixty seconds to explain the thought process that goes on in a mind in twenty, twenty, in in, in five seconds. <laughs> I said to myself, self. I said, if you're going to give this to lady any money, you are going to have to probably set down your nice briefcase, and it might get wet on the ground. You're going to have to take off your gloves. You're going to have to unbutton your coat, unbutton your sport coat, reach into your pocket, take out your wallet, take out some money from the wallet, and then reverse the whole process. And in that second that I had to go through that thought process, I walked by her. The face of that woman haunts me to this day. Haunts me to this day. I went back every day I was still in New York. I walked between 42nd and The 38th and 45th and I went from Madison to Park to to Lex and I went the other way, I could not find her. And it is my my lifelong shame I probably have quite a few others, but that one for sure, that I didn't stop to help this woman. Which means that uh, every time that I see someone in that kind of situation, regardless of how easy or hard it is for me, I will stop and help that person. And I'll try to talk to the person as well. Sometimes talk is not not uh, wanted at all, and sometimes it is. So um, we have an obligation, one human being to another. The Jewish word, the Hebrew word for uh, charity, isn't charity. Charity is something you give away. If you feel like it, if your heart moves you, if you uh, had a good year, if you need a tax deduction... The Hebrew word for the Hebrew word for charity is, is translated as righteousness. It is the right thing to do, and uh-huh. so that's what we teach our children that it is the responsibility of one human being to another, all of whom are God's children, all of whom God loves equally, to uh, take care of each other as we need to do.
1: It's a great story painful Um, and and it's true i think that that when when you know that that there is there is a right thing to do and, and you know sometimes the right thing is not the easy thing but it's the right thing correct and and it's just it it does stretch you but you know we're humans we're here because we're humans we're learning we're growing and and hopefully we're becoming better and it just to me is is it, i think one of the one one of the things that gives me the greatest joy is to be in the grocery store and to see somebody who is alone shopping um tell them how pretty they look or how how pretty their hair is or how how nice the color looks upon them, and how I love seeing the glow that comes from that random act of kindness that That is so amazing. It's it just it gives it warms me to see that somebody else has been warmed by just simple words. Yes, and you know, yeah. So so that I think that that we are at a time and a place here where generosity and kindness and giving is something that that while while we know we understand it, but incorporating it into our lives is. It's a time it, it, we're in a time where we can avoid it, but but to not avoid it makes for a richer life. I tell people all the time. If if you are allow the spirit to really manifest within your life, spirit being God, um, that that it it takes your world from black and white to technicolor in a heartbeat.
2: <laughs> what a beautiful that, image! What a beautiful image, Barbara. It's uh, it, gorgeous.
1: But it's. It's true, and 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 it's so simple, and it's not complicated. You don't have to reason it. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to read textbooks about it. Kindness, loving, sharing, giving, joy.
2: Well, I'll tell you another grocery the grocery store story, which I write I about in Radical Loving, and mm-hmm. I love grocery stores because my daddy had grocery stores when I was growing up. So I worked in grocery stores all my life, and. Um, Ellen says that if I'm ever depressed, she takes me to a grocery store and I'm happy again, all over again. So um, so So all right. So when my kids were little, uh, we tried to uh, put into modern terms the teaching of an ancient sage. So it's said about this ancient sage that when he went to the market, if he needed a piece of meat, he would buy two. If he needed a bunch of vegetables, he would buy two, one for himself and one for the hungry, the needing in his neighborhood. Oh. So... We said to the kids, every time we go to a grocery store, we'll buy one more item of non-perishable food, a box of cereal, a box of mac and cheese, a can of tuna fish, a jar of peanut butter. We won't even take it into the house. We'll just put it into the brown paper sack in the trunk of the car. And when we've collected two or three brown paper sacks, we'll take it to the local food pantry. So I'm in the store one day with my uh, son, my youngest son, who was then about five years old. And I took a box of cereal off the shelf. And I said to him, honey, how about this as our food gift for this week? And this precocious little child, who has remained so in his adulthood, um, looked at me and said, no. I said, no, why not? (laughs) And he grabbed the cereal out of my hands, put it back on the shelf and reached up on his little tippy-toes, stood on the grocery cart, and reached up on his little tippy-toes, and took a different box of cereal from the shelf. And he said, this will be our food gift today. And I said to him, what's the difference? And he said to me, look, Dad, there are hungry children out there, too, and we like sugar-frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios. (laughs) Well, in an instant, in an instant, that kid taught me, to see not a category of people, the hungry, the needy, the poor, the unfortunate, but a face of a kid who reflects the face of God, who we were helping to feed, who likes one kind of cereal better than another kind of cereal. And so I always ask people, you know, churches and synagogues and other social service organizations, put together Thanksgiving baskets, right? I'm sure your, your church has done that too and we always give turkeys and yams and stuffing boxes and cranberries and so on. well if we make a, a Thanksgiving if somebody want needs a turkey probably it would be nice to put in a bottle of sparkling apple cider or a, a bag of of uh, colorful jelly beans or a um, happily decorated cake or cupcakes because you know if somebody needs a turkey you'd like to celebrate Um, and why why shouldn't that person have a nice cake for dessert? And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. When you go to a hotel, the hotel doesn't expect you to steal the towels, but they do expect you to take those little bottles of shampoo and conditioner and those little bars of soap. And, you know, if you take them and you collect two or three or four or five from your trip and take them to the local shelter... While we're using our expensive designer shampoos, that little bottle from the hotel can mean one head shampoo or two or three for somebody who has no shampoo at all. Right. Think of of what a wonderful thing that is to do. So there's so many things that we can do, one human being to another, that elevate the human spirit. So I have always said, I came up with this little acronym, F-A-N-A-M-I, find a need and meet it. So, you know, when somebody somebody looks like he or she is in trouble or something bad has happened, we always come and say, anything I can do for you, you just ask me, uh, I'm always here for you, give me a call, whatever you need. And, you know, people never, never call, never ask. Right. I remember back in 1996, our house burned to the ground in a Southern California wildfire. Oh wow. We lost everything we owned. Our house and everything in it. And so a man came to me, one of the kindest, sweetest, gentlest um men and wealthiest men that I knew at the time, and he said to me, Rabbi, what's mine is yours. Anything you want, just ask me and it's yours. Well what am I gonna to say to the man? Buy me dinner, buy me a suit, build me a house? What am I gonna say? So I said, nothing. Well, it's the same thing. If somebody, God forbid, dies, we go to the mourner and we say, anything you need, just let me know. I'm right here for you. I'm always here for you. I love you. But no one ever does. So Mm -hmm. instead say, I understand your Uncle Charlie's coming in for the funeral. Give me his plane uh, information. I'll go down to the airport and pick him up. Or is your good suit at the cleaners? I'll go pick it up for you. Or, don't worry about the kids tonight, I'll take them for pizza and a movie. That's finding a need and meeting it, and one human being truly meeting the needs of another human being. Oh, yeah. That's righteousness.
1: Well, I think also, you know, you, you, you talk about radical loving as opposed to loving, and, and there's a difference. Yes. Um, So, so explain... For those listening, the difference between radical loving and loving.
2: Well, radical loving is is much of what we've talked about today. It is Mm -hmm. the absolute recognition, the conscious reality, that there is one God who loves us all, who loves us all with greatest love, with eternal love, and loves us all equally. We are all God's children, God doesn't play favorites. And radical loving is the absolute certainty that the face of God is reflected in every other human being. When we see another, we see God. The Namaste, the God in me acknowledges, the divine in me acknowledges, the uh-huh. divine in you. And radical loving is making the life of another as precious to us as our own. Some of the examples that we talked about today, uh, and therefore treating everybody with constant and extreme grace and kindness and generosity of spirit, and to give our our hearts and our hands to to repair and rejuvenate the, this world that is so battered, and to respond to hate and anger and fear with love. I um, right actually right before the pandemic, a year ago, February, Ellen and I had gone to the theater, and uh, which in San Diego. Anybody who knows San Diego knows it's in Balboa Park, a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, city park, and it's the Old Globe Theater. And um, we had to park fairly far away, so we walked, and by the time we got there, most of the cars had had left. And um, I got to our car, and I saw that there was uh, purposely put there, because it couldn't have been a mistake, garbage from uh, takeout containers, and beer bottles and soda bottles that if I didn't move them, I would have run over them and and uh, maybe uh, hurt the tire in the car. So mm-hmm. there was a garbage can not that far away. So I made three or four trips carrying this the junk from the 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 from the, um, the, from the parking lot. And a couple probably about our age came to their car, which was a few rows back. And she looked at me and she said, it's not our world anymore, it's theirs. And I wanted to shout, no, 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 I won't let that happen. And I wanted to shout to the people who had left the the, the garbage there, what's wrong with you people? Don't you have a little de- human decency? Don't you have a little human civility? You want me to, to run over a bottle and get a flat tire here in the dark parking lot in the middle of the night? What's wrong with you people? And I realized that if I had shouted out that those phrases, I would have been sending out my anger and my fear and my hate to the world, and it would have spiraled back to me. Yeah. But if I send love, if I send love out to the world saying to them, I love you, I'm so sorry that you thought you had to do this, there are better ways you know. If I send that love out to the world, that love will spiral back. The Bible, again, and you're so familiar with it, um, in Isaiah, uh, teaches that there, uh, metaphorically, of course, there are angels that stand on the other, so seraphim, actually, who are archangels, who stand on the other, each side of the heavenly throne, and they shout across the heavens, Kadosh, 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 holy, 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 sanctus, sanctus, sanctus is God. And that creates the love vibration, and that love vibration comes from the heavens to earth. And we can send back to the heavens fear and anger, or we can send back to the heavens love and the love vibration that comes from us. So there's another old story that says, what happens to all the prayers of all the people that are said every day? You know, we pray to God, we pray to God. What, are, what yeah. happens to all those prayers? And so, again, a cute legend says that angels stand on the other side of either side of the heavenly throne and they catch the prayers as they come to God and they weave them into a crown. Each and every day they weave them all the prayers into a crown and they place that crown on God's head. And therefore, God is God because we acknowledge God to be God. That's sending the love vibration back to the heavens. And that's how the world can survive. You may remember back in 1987, we had this thing called the Harmonic Convergence, remember? We all stood around, held hands, sang songs, and said, we're going to change the world. And of course, the world laughed at us. A bunch of young people standing around singing songs, holding hands, thinking you're going to change the world. But we did send the love vibration out to the world. And what happened? Within a couple of years, the Soviet Union fell. All the satellite countries fell. Blacks and whites started riding the bus together in Johannesburg. Protestants and Catholics stopped shooting each other in Northern Ireland. And once in a while, Israelis and Arabs sat down at a peace table. Now, did did our singing and holding hands cause that to happen? Of course not. But instead of sending out hate and fear to the world, we send out love to the world, and the love spirals back and eventually must be felt throughout the world. That's our job right now, not just eighty, nineteen eighty-seven, 1987, but now more and more and more people are becoming enlightened. More and more people are feeling the love vibration. More and more people are feeling radical loving. More and more people are feeling what I call awesome holiness. And the more and more and more people who feel it, who live it, are the tipping point that can change this world. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, a lot of people think, you know, I'm just one person, I can't make a difference, but that's not true. Um, there's a wonderful story about uh, two brothers who were walking ac- along the beach at low tide, and the little brother was picking up the starfish and flinging them back into the ocean. And his brother said, what are you, what are you doing? And he said, you know, I'm flinging them back in the ocean, giving me another chance. And he said, you can't make a difference. And he said, as he flew, threw another one out, I said, I made a difference in that one's life.
0: Great, great,
1: beautiful story. So, beautiful so it's, story. it's 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 sort of like we can make a difference. One ripple can become a tsunami if given the opportunity.
2: Exactly, beautiful so, story. So, so
1: uh, I, I uh, well, and there's the, the one about the chicken in the in the in the barnyard. The little there was a little chicken who was in the middle of the barnyard and it was laying on its back with its feet in the air, and you know. Gather, you know, chickens gathered around. A rooster finally said, what, "What are you doing?" And the <laughs> little chicken said, "Yeah, I I heard a story that the sky is going to fall. I'm going to catch it." And mm-hmm. the the uh, rooster said, "And you think you can make a difference?" And the little chicken said, "I do what I can do."
2: Hmm. I knew the starfish story. I would never heard that chicken story. It's a gorgeous story.
1: I of love gorgeous. it too. Every now and then, I lay down on the carpet. I put my legs in the air and say, "Okay, <laughs>
2: give it a give it a shot." <laughs> I'm doing what I can do. That's great.
1: But but you know, I think that I think people have to understand that that we are not powerless. We are powerful. And and you know, it, it's just, just because we don't see the difference we make doesn't mean it doesn't happen you put it out there you touch another person's heart you touch another person's energetic field you you, you they feel your love you've made a difference
2: and it's well, so cool if you want to talk about a difference you know um i talk i talk in the in the book here about awesome holiness uh mm-hmm. which is the twin of radical loving and uh, one of the things about awesome holiness is to be godlike in every thought word and deed and um So I always ask people, well, there's this great story about uh, a person who was in a cafeteria line and he came to the the dessert part of the line, and there was this uh, platter of freshly baked, wonderfully smelling chocolate chip cookies. And so the Mm -hmm. sign said, please take only one chocolate chip cookie. And as he rounded past the platter a little bit, the sign said, Please take only one chocolate chip cookie. God is watching.
1: <laughs>
2: and then we went to the we went to the bowl of shiny red apples and the sign said, take as many apples as you like. God's watching the chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so I ask people, what if your every word and deed of today, your every word and action of today, were being recorded on a constantly running film or tape? And that film or tape would be the 6 o'clock local news. And you had to call your parents or your children or your grandchildren and say, watch me on the news. Would you be pleased and happy and proud, or would you be embarrassed and ashamed? That becomes a simple way to ask ourselves, am I doing right? Am I doing the right thing? And so it makes a difference. I am asking people right now, to remember Darnella Frazier, Darnella Frazier, who's Darnella Frazier? Darnella Frazier is that seventeen-year was a seventeen-year-old girl who had the courage and the the uh, peace of mind and the state of mind to hold her iPhone for nine minutes and thirty-six seconds, watching the police officer murder George Floyd, and without that tape. He, the the police officer probably would have been acquitted, and instead he is being held to account for what he did. A seventeen year old girl, who had the the presence of mind and the courage to stand there, while other policemen were asking her, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Well, if a seventeen year old kid can do that, and by the way, she was just just given an honorary Pulitzer Prize for her uh, oh, wow. for. Her journalistic action. If a 17-year-old kid can do that, we who have a little more maturity, we certainly can do that. And we can meet the needs of the community. We can meet the needs of individuals and the community and indeed make our words and deeds so important. You know, words have incredible power. Words have the power to elevate the world or to crush the world. And unfortunately, for the last uh, four or five years in this country, we have been subjected to rhetoric of division and demonizing the other and hate and and anger and fear and causing divisiveness and racism and sexism and white supremacy and Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. And because that rhetoric was coming from the highest places, people who had kept their feelings to themselves thought that it was tacit permission to speak and behave in intolerable ways. And that's what's happened in these last number of years. So fortunately, we've changed leadership and the rhetoric has changed. But that divisiveness has broken us. It's broken us. And we need to heal.
1: We do, and it's it's you know coming out of the pandemic, <clears throat> making sure people can join together in groups, and it it I, I do I do wonder sometimes you know the 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 isolation was was a great thing in that in that it allowed people to come to a greater awareness of of who they are and what they are. And I'm hopeful that, you know, in times of, in times of great tragedy, uh, 9-11 comes to mind. The world stopped and everyone was at, was at one with each other. There was a sense of horror but, but also of sadness and of coming together as a, as a group and helping out each other. And, you know, it, I, I would hope that it doesn't take those kind of disasters to show humanity how we are one. And and yet, it does seem that this pandemic has has sort of given us that same feeling. We, we've all, everyone has been impacted the same way, so that we've been leveled in a way, and and you know reminded of the fact that we are all the same. You know, some maybe have more money, some maybe you know different color skin and stuff like that. But but we're all the same. And if we can remember well, that. I want to tell you that,
2: about a great. First of all, you're absolutely right. And how sad it was that that feeling of oneness and unity after nine eleven eventually faded, not even eventually yeah. uh, six weeks later it was it was pretty gone. but yeah. I want to tell you why I think um this disunity has taken place, and it goes back for long long periods of time so so um the theme, the theme of the world seems to be my God's better than your God. And my principles and my values and my scripture is better than yours. And God loves me more. And God loves my nation more. And God loves my military more. And God blesses me more because God loves me more. Well, that came about because in the beginnings, the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, had scripture which they claimed was better than the teachings of the pagan world. And then Christianity came along with the New Testament and said, this is replacement theology. We still use those words today. This is replacement theology. Our New Testament is better than the Old Testament. And then Islam came along and said, our Quran is better than the New Testament and the Old Testament and the pagan teachings, and therefore it replaces everything. It's superior. And the and the the uh, Eastern religions and the Native Americans all had other scriptures. Well, it's a terrible mistake. It's a terrible mistake. It wasn't replacement theology. It wasn't better than what had come before. It was simply an addition to what had come before. Each scripture was an addition to what had come before because of evolving human consciousness. And God uh-huh. says, "Aha." I have more to teach my children. Because you don't teach your 15-year-old, you don't teach your 5-year-old what you're going to teach your 15-year-old. And you don't teach your 15-year-old what you're, what you're going to teach your 21-year-old. We do this as parents. We evolve our teachings based on the age of the children. And God did uh-huh. that. God gave wisdom to evolving generations because there was wisdom, new wisdom, for the new world in which people lived. It wasn't a replacement. It was an addition. Wisdom is wisdom. It belongs to the entire world. And the messenger, it doesn't matter if the messenger is Abraham and Moses, or Jesus, or Mohammed, or Dr. Martin Luther King, or Mother Teresa, or Barbara DeLong. A messenger is a messenger. And all messages belong to the whole world. God never said this messenger is better than that messenger. God said this messenger is bringing new new learning, new wisdom. It belongs to the whole world. And so, yeah, it was very interesting. There's this quote from, I, I hope I'm going to get it right, I think I have it pretty right, from um, Robert Jastrow, or Dr. Robert Jastrow, of blessed memory, who was the, the head of NASA, of the National Space uh he sent people to the moon. And so he said, the scientist has lived by the power of reason. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance and is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over to the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we make the same mistake. Science, sure. Science is wonderful. Every one of us who has a half a brain, says that science is wonderful. But science changes all the time. Science creates nothing anew. There's a great old story, I think I put this in this book, where the scientists come to God, and they say, Hello, God, we've come to say goodbye to you. And God says, What do you mean? The scientist said, Well... There's only one thing that you could do that we haven't yet figured out, and that's creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothingness. But we finally figured it out, and so now that we can do it, we don't need you anymore, so we've come to say goodbye. And God said, you can do that? That's fantastic. Please show me. So a scientist bent down and picked up a clump of earth and started shaping it and forming it, and God said, ah, ah, ah. Use your own dirt. (laughs) I love
1: that story.
2: (laughs) Science creates nothing anew. Science discovers what God has put out there already. And God didn't put out the formula for rocket ships heading to the moon to the ancient pagan world. Because the ancient pagan world hadn't developed enough to be in that place. And God didn't give, should have, but didn't give, the ability to create a vaccine against the pandemic even 100 years ago in such a quick time, but did. You know, it's it's a, if you just look at it in terms of our own lifetime, our grandparents uh, died of smallpox. Somebody found the cure for smallpox. We got vaccinations when we were kids. Nobody died of smallpox. When we were kids, kids died of polio. You remember all Mm -hmm. the pictures of the kids in the iron lungs? Salk and and then Sabin found the cure for polio, the vaccine against polio. Anybody who got a polio shot doesn't get polio anymore. And I'm telling you, as I sit here today, I tell you that one day somebody will say, And my grandparents died of cancer, but somebody reached up, plucked out the cure, discovered the cure that God had put out there at the beginning of creation, and nobody dies of cancer anymore. God willing, it should only be. And it's the same thing here. God God gave us the ability. This pandemic has been horrid, and you're right. All these deaths, it's painful, it's horrible. And for me as a rabbi, I don't know about you as a minister, it was even more painful because I couldn't go to the hospital. They kept me out of the hospital. I couldn't comfort my people as they were dying. I couldn't comfort their their loved ones. I couldn't do my job. And, it it and, is and, hard. And so we we found this because because we have evolved. And so when we needed this, it came quickly. It, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't come quite quickly enough but far more quickly than the cure for polio or the cure for smallpox and well
1: there's there's that old saying out there that god never puts anything in front of you you know un, un, until and unless there there is the capability of overcoming it and and mother teresa's comment i i have always loved she said i know god never gives me more than i can handle i just wish he didn't have so much faith in me <laughs>
2: Great quote, great quote, yeah, so, so this so, is the evolution so it, of society and uh and the and so it it's in science and it's in theology. People should not think that one is better than the next. it is an addition to and an extension of and an enhancement and an enrichment of what we've had before, mhm,
1: and I think there's a lot of. The, the element of faith comes into a lot of this. And I have always, no matter how bad it has looked, I've always had the faith that there's a reason for this. There's a lesson here, and we're going to be better when we get through it. And, and we have to
2: be always in gratitude. We have to be always yeah. in gratitude for what we, even even when things are tough, even in the midst of the pandemic, we, we have to be in gratitude. And I write in the book, I write in Radical Loving that I've, I've developed for myself a uh, a daily process, a daily ritual, if you will, and that is I, I made a list of all my teachers, of all my teachers, starting from the ones from thousands of years ago whose teachings I've read or or been taught, and all the writers and the philosophers and the theologians and the and the uh, authors and the artists and all of whom have. Have uh, whose work has taught me and, and helped make me who I am, and then my own individual teachers, and then my family and my closest friends, and my students from whom I've learned so much. Oh, yeah. And every day, every day, I read that list. And I say thank you to each one of those people. I'm in gratitude. And I also ask them, who has... Whatever it is to teach me today, or who's going to help me today? Because we learn from everybody all the time.
1: Absolutely.
2: So um, I, I, I I want to recommend that to all your listeners that make a list of people. This is your lineage and your legacy,
0: uh-huh. and then make
2: a list of the, make a list of the people who are coming after you. Your children, your grandchildren your students, your coworkers, your church and synagogue fellowship, your community workers, the people with whom you have a close contact, and speak gratitude to them and offer them your wisdom and your teaching. It um, doesn't have to be in person. It can be the legacy that you leave. So it's your lineage and your legacy and it takes you know once you've made the list the recitation of it takes 3 or 5 minutes a day but what a rich rich 3 or 5 minutes
1: oh yeah and acknowledging the fact that what what i love is that every wisdom comes in layers so that so that what today seems to be you know the 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 seed of whatever the wisdom was Tomorrow, there, there's going to be another layer to it, and it's like oh, I didn't see that yesterday, but I see it today. Um, I have found that that the wisdoms that that you know I come across when I read other people's books or when I do writing on my own, or or um, you know just um, just going through my day to day life. Um, when I moved into the new place here, I had a mirror that was. I only I had a mirror that. Um, there was no place for it, so I had them hang it high. And they said, you won't be able to see the reflection. And I said, just because I don't see the reflection doesn't mean it's not there.
2: <laughs> you are a wise woman, Barbara DeLong, a wise woman.
1: <laughs> and you know, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy, and it's like, no, I have to be reminded that there is reflection that I don't see, and I should be aware of that as well. So, um yeah, you know, every now and then I have to explain it to someone who says, "You're not that tall." And, no, I'm not, but I still have a reflection.
2: Well, we have to keep it. It's all perspective because it's not only that science evolves, but it's that science evolves, and so mm-hmm. um, we have to be open and ready for that because um, otherwise we'd still be using leeches to bleed ourselves, right? Um,
0: yeah,
2: and which means that at the same time. Which means that what is pure scientific certainty today is just for today, because yeah. there will be new certainty tomorrow.
1: And isn't that magical? It, you know, I call it magic. I, I, I think that that watching us evolve as humans, as as we expand our consciousnesses, as we become more and more aware of our impact on planet and each other and ourselves i mean magic is constantly happening and at work within our lives and it's awareness it's the awareness of god and you know while while we call god by different names he's he's still god um and i love the way that 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 you even you know you had God meeting people in a in a garden or sitting on a park bench, and I love the fact that he has a dog. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a cat person myself, but you gave God a dog. Uh, his wife must have a cat. So
2: <laughs> God's wife has a cat. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it.
1: Well, if you stop to think about it, uh, the wife would be moon energy. Yes. And and a cat would be far more appropriate. The, the Egyptians thought it. The right. Chinese think think cats' purpose is to take away the heavy energy from our chests and our hearts. So yeah, I I think though, so, but but I love the fact that you personalize God to the point where he could sit on a park bench and talk to you. And every now and then, if things are going strangely, I will I will just. Pull everything to a halt and say, "What were you thinking?" You know, <laughs>
2: there's that well, you know, to be a
1: reason, <laughs> the,
2: the, there's, the, the, that's great precedent. Great precedent because you know, early in the Bible, God says to uh, God says to Abraham, "I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah." You remember that? And Abraham argues with I do. him. I Abraham argues with him, what if there are fifty righteous people? What if there are forty 30, ten and he says to God in hebrew it's it's, it's the Hebrew is so amazing He says shame <laughs> <laughs> on you <laughs> shall not the judge of the whole world judge justly. Wow, mm-hmm. argue with God absolutely. it goes back all the way to Abraham.
1: Well, I don't often win. But
2: uh, <laughs> you never know. You never know.
1: I, my logic Plays out for is, a long time. Yeah, my, my logic is often flawed, but sometimes just talking it out helps. But but I think that I I think that everybody should have a personal relationship with God. Um I I, I one time during a service had a phone on the on the lectern and I was able to make it ring. And um, I I I was Talking or whatever, and, and the phone rang. And I looked at them, and I looked, at, and I picked up the phone, and I said, "Yes, yeah, I'm getting there. Just give me a chance." And I hung up the phone, and we went on, and and it rang again. And it, 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 you know, I, I, it, through the whole service, it became a, you know, I'm talking to God here. I'm trying to give you His message, and He's saying I'm not doing it right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but it, it did work for the one time. I loved it, though. It was
2: so well, cool. The, the there's a chapter in the book, uh, in Radical Loving, that says, You are a prophet. Uh-huh. You know, um, people misunderstand prayer and even meditation. We think that prayer has one part, that we talk to God and God listens. But prayer really has two parts. The second part is God talks to us and we have to listen.
1: Yes.
2: God talks to us all the time. Through words, through visions, through daydreams, through night dreams, God talks to all us all the time. And the the definition of a biblical prophet is not a soothsayer or a fortune teller. A prophet is a messenger of God. God gives that person a message, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, whomever. And sometimes that message is for that person alone, but in biblical sense, it's for that person to give out to the world well God Uh talks to each one of us all the time each one of us is a prophet each one of us is a messenger of God and God gives us messages sometimes just for ourselves or for ourselves and our family or sometimes gives us uh, people like you uh, messages to give out to the world and the good thing about it is God will never give a message that is harmful and that's why no. people sometimes mistake their own will for God's will. The end of the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done, Thy will be done, Thy will be done. So um, my, my will is not necessarily God's will. I have to listen very, very carefully, because nothing that God would tell me would be harmful to anybody else.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: Or, or denigrating to anybody else. And so each of us is a prophet. And because prophecy can be breathtakingly new to each one of us, I wrote a prayer, a little prayer that's in the book, that people can say to hone and to elevate your gift of prophecy. So people who uh, want to, you can say the prayer in 30 seconds, but people who want to become a greater channel, a wider channel to to hear from God, to see from God, to dream from God, can recite this prayer, and that prayer will help you become um, the prophet that you are destined to be.
1: And I think it's important, too. I, I think you make, a, you make an excellent point, and, and, and I'm going to reiterate it, because the, the, those kind of messages are not harmful, and they aren't directional. They are giving you a philosophy and wisdom to use to apply to your life to make your life better. And it's not, you know, cutting, out, cutting somebody out of your will or taking advantage of someone else. It's, it's a way of life for the most part, and, and it's, it's, it helps you to experience a greater manifestation of the God that is within you, and it, it, there's God within all of us. And, you know, how can you, how can you mistreat another person when you know that there's God there? That doesn't right. make sense.
2: Perfect. Perfect. That's the message here.
1: No, I don't have a pulpit. I have a radio show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Mike, in the introduction, you said that my show is on uh, uh, heavenlylife.net. It's actually healthylife.net. But I love—I that's the best Freudian slip ever. It it should be on heavenlylife.net. It's on healthylife.net. But thank you for uh, elevating it so high.
1: (laughs) No problem. But but no, I think that's true. I mean, it, it, he, being heavenly is healthy, certainly. But um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I did. I. Yeah, it says healthy. I said heavenly.
2: Yeah. Son of a gun! I love it. I love it.
1: We, we may have a new network coming up here.
2: <laughs> Could
1: be. Yeah. Well, you know, I. So how do you use your radio show? Is it is it similar to what, what I do here with talking to authors and getting the message out there in one form or another?
2: Yes, it used to be once a week. Um I did that for four or five years and then somewhere along the line I had some pretty serious surgery and since I was both producing the show and, and uh and uh hosting it, it just became too much to get those um all those um guests. And so I was ready to leave the station and they said to me, please don't leave. We, we like you. And, and, uh, they had what they call a specialty series where, uh, people like me, Bernie Siegel, Jonathan Coleman, others, um, have a once a month show. And so, um, I'm on once a month and I usually have an author or, um, a thought leader of some sort. And it's a one hour interview program, much like yours, except yours is two hours. And yours is much yeah. more. Much much more uh, frequent than mine, but um, yeah, it's, it's a it's a great opportunity, and um, yeah, you know, I, I always remember that that um, in Catcher in the Rye, you remember Holden Caulfield wanted to know two things: where do the ducks go in winter, right? Yeah. and and could he meet the author? And the interesting thing about my life at this stage in my life is that most of the books that I read, I either wrote or I know the person who wrote it. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> in my field, you know, in my field, uh, it's a limited field that, that, that people write. So I get to interview all my friends and and, and help them promote their books. But I, I, I do go far, you know, I go far. I, I, I get that, as I'm sure you do, which is probably how you found me. I get uh, publicists all the time pitching uh, authors. And so, you know, if it looks interesting and would fit the, the themes of my show, um, then um uh, then I I take authors like that as well. Or or not necessarily authors, but people have something really interesting to say or do. Well I've
1: been I've been very, very fortunate in that I've 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 had positive experiences for twelve years with people that have been on the show. And um it's been enlightening. It's it's my way of going to school, it's my way of keeping my finger in. What's going on? It's it's been a learning experience for me. I've um, I, I've had people who, sorry, cat just jumped on me. I've had people who have you know talked about well, I'm so evolved, I have to only you know deal with so this kind of person and that kind of person. And it's like, listen, in my experience, um, I always assume that the dandelions are further evolved than I am, and I don't get into trouble that way. Um, <laughs> You just you 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 don't know the spirit inside of the person. You don't know it, and and you know take the opportunity to get to know it, to to learn to love it, and and you know. But but to make a judgment is ridiculous because there, you know, if you really were that high of a consciousness, you wouldn't be here. So um, you know, we're all the same.
2: And, well, speaking and, of this, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, well, speaking of the spirits within a person, you know one of the things that happened with that separation at Eden was the not only the separation between God and human beings but the separation between male and female, because God, of course, is the everything of the everything God is male and female and right and wrong and and justice and mercy and compassion and love, God God's the everything of the everything. But when the so-called fall from Eden took place, the masculine, the divine masculine and the divine feminine split, and the divine masculine was the upright tree, and the divine feminine was turned upside down. And the divine feminine said, "If you are exiling," Um, the people, I'm going with them so they shouldn't feel in tremendous exile and that started the breach between men and women, masculine and feminine all this journey and the, the breach between men and women, between the masculine and feminine as above so below was in the heavens and it is here on earth and one of the most powerful Separations is that divine is is the separation between men and women, and the only way that we will achieve oneness again is if that is healed. And so, again, as above, so below, we are we've begun because uh, Ms. Magazine uh, began in 1972. We think it might have been there forever, but it began in 1972. Women's suffrage goes back to the 1920s. Just in this yeah. century, just in this century, in the last century being this century, uh, last hundred, 125 years, have we become aware of the the need for the healing between men and women? And um, in the last 50 years, in particular, since News Magazine, uh, the we're coming up to next year will be the Fiftieth anniversary of the ordination of the first woman rabbi, and then of course we had the ordination of women Episcopal priests and and uh, Protestant ministers in, in all kinds of ways. The Catholic Church still has to catch up, but um, and we've had we've had when I when I went to college, when I went to university, women could not go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. They were all men's schools. That's why they're the Seven Sisters to be the the, the women's schools of the. Of the uh, Ivy league and uh that that has changed radically in these uh, years and the the change has begun the change has begun so that uh parents can now say to their little girls, "You can be and do everything you want you there there are not um i mean uh, uh, my wife Ellen uh, told me that when when her mother went to get credit, she couldn't get credit in her own name uh, ah, me yeah. I mean back in the fifties couldn't get credit in her own name. She needed credit to of her husband to sign uh, my father in law. Um, wasn't wasn't so,
1: there a wasn't there a female Pope?
2: Well they say so but yeah yeah Pope <laughs> Jones. Um you know I, Yeah
1: she I, she screwed up by going into labor in the middle of a procession
2: which yeah, would it was Yeah was not of, not good news. Right. So no. um <laughs> yeah, so so um The the change has begun to take place, and women and men are reconciling their differences much more than previously. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some cautions, of course, and that is that um, that, uh, the old boys club still exists in terms of um, jobs and equal pay and promotions and all of that, and that has changed. And there are women who are elected everywhere except the United States, where we blew the election and didn't elect a woman president. Uh, but uh, there are women heads of state all over the all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. And and at the same time, conversely, we can't lay all the blame on men, and we have to say to women, you know, if you want equality, then uh, walk into that boardroom and say we will no longer let women's half-naked bodies sell beer and blue jeans and automobiles in advertising. And that, that's a balance as well. So the balance is coming more and more. And again, in the book Radical Loving, uh, with the help of, of uh, my wife and two other women rabbis and um, and another uh, spiritual guide, we wrote a prayer uh, of braiding so that the, the tree comes back together uh, and the masculine and the feminine are interwoven once again and there will be one tree that stands strong and when the divine masculine and divine feminine become whole again then uh, the masculine and feminine breach uh, here on earth will become whole again or vice versa when the masculine and feminine breach here on earth become whole again then it will be that way in the heavens and uh, then we will be further further along in the steps to bring uh decency and dignity uh to each and every human being
1: yeah no it's 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 a, it's a long trail, but it's certainly it feels as though we are making a change and 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 well well it takes an awful long time longer than I would like to you know see my grandfather was one of those that fought for women 's right he was a state senator from um Massachusetts and hmm. he was he was part of those that gave us the vote. He often regretted it, but <laughs> 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 but uh not so he was you know he raised his eyebrows a lot that's all um but but it is it's important that 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 the male and female in all of us come into a better balance and you know tradition and times and it's it's very sad when a baby is born there is a perfected spirit there and in in our in our in our haste to make sure that this baby is safe as it grows up we implant within it um concepts that eventually it will have to unlearn because it's not appropriate and you know parents and teachers and and religious communities, and, and they all have their agendas, and it, it's heartbreaking to see children who are taught bigotry and and fear and anger and prejudice. And you know, it, it has to start from from almost the womb that that you know this is a world of peace and this is a world of equality and this is a world where everybody is inside the same. That there are no Differences that 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 God is there within all of us, and that that if we just let that God be celebrated, then life is rich and beautiful. Um, it 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 has happened in many places. It it needs to be global. We aren't there yet, but I I do hope and have faith that we are getting to that place. Maybe in another, oh I don't know, six or eight thousand years, we'll get there.
2: And, uh, we're, we're we're moving there. You know, there's a chapter in the book. In radical loving, called uh, "Teach Your Children Well," based on the yes. old uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young song. And uh, you're right. Uh, the, uh, I start there by saying that uh, no child is born a racist. No child is born no. to hate. It's a learned activity, a uh, learned behavior. And just as we teach, just as children are taught to be hateful, they can be taught to be loving and kind and compassionate and decent and uh, and uh, righteous and, and just. And so well, I call upon parents to be conscious parents, to be fully aware. You know, parent you could you could become a parent in, a, in five seconds of pa- five five minutes of passion, and then you're a parent for a lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, they say they say that uh, it says honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon this earth. So they say that at the moment of conception, three are present. Three are present: the father, the mother. And the mother-in-law. No, no, no. The father, yeah. the mother, and God, and God, because parents are the stewards of God's precious souls here on earth. So instead of just winging it, we have to be conscious parents and mindful of the choices that that we make and respecting our children as human beings and being purposeful with them. Um so there, there's a, there has to be a parenting plan. You know, if you have a plan for your finances and if you have a plan to get a promotion at work and if you have a plan to help your community um, save the whales, all of which are very, very important, you need a plan to parent. And so there are all kinds of suggestions in this book about, oh, for example, sing and read to your children from the very, very beginning, even the, the in the womb. And yes. eat with your children. Have dinner with them. Make sure that there's a family conversation. And monitor their homework. Take them to school. You know, it used to be if, you, if you, our mothers were called to a teacher conference, we knew we were in big trouble, right?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, These days, if a parent is called to a teacher conference, half the time, three-quarters of the time, the parents will say, what are you doing wrong with my child? My child's fine. You must be a bad teacher. I've seen it over and over again. Yeah. So, uh let the teachers know that they have a partner in educating the children and create a safe place for your child. Your home has to be a very, very safe place and be and and um hug them and kiss them and tell them I love you because they need. They need to know that they are loved. And then it's so interesting the the Talmud and oh the, the compendium of Jewish law from centuries and centuries ago says that a parent um, the parent has to teach a child to swim. What a strange thing! Teach a child to swim It's one of your responsibilities as a parent. Why? Because the parent has to teach a child how to survive in a foreign environment, and the other thing the parent has to. Uh, learn, is how long to hold on and when to let go. And so there's so many things that we as parents can do only if we are conscious and mindful parents who say from the very, very beginning, I am God's partner in, plant, in this planted seed that is going to grow into into a God being. There's a Meister Eckhart who was a 14th century German theologian, said the seed of God is in us. Given an intelligent farmer and an intelligent farmhand, it will thrive and grow up to God whose seed it is accordingly. Its fruit will be God nature. Pear seeds grow into pears, nut seeds grow into nut trees, and God seeds grow into God. So that's how we teach our children, because we plant the seed of God within us and within them, and we grow our children to be God's seeds. So important.
1: Absolutely. Oh, it is. It is. And today most especially because there's so much influence out there that, that sometimes we have no control over. And um, it's, it's, it's an awesome responsibility to, I mean, I, have, I just have one son and when he was 21 i we i sat down with him and i said you know you i've done the best i can um you don't need a parent as much as you need a friend so i'm going to i'm going to be your friend I, i'm still going to reserve the parent card in case i need it but <laughs> i'm going to be i'm going to be your friend and at one point he when the when the wall came down um he wanted to take a leave of absence from his job and he wanted to go over to Europe and he wanted to pass out Bibles and and I was horrified and I said, you know, we have Appalachia here, we have all sorts of stuff here and I gave him the whole spiel and he listened respectfully and said, well, that's what my mother would say. What what would my friend say? And, you know, he took me aback and I said, your friend would say I want to go too. <laughs>
2: And And I would say, your friend would say, listen to your mommy.
1: (laughs) No, he went, and he had a wonderful time, and it was a very uh, spiritual time for him and and an awakening for him. It was a great experience. But when he got back, I said, "I, I am going to say something again that your mother would have said. You know, I think it's wonderful you're taking care of people in Europe, but there are people here in this country that need it too.
2: Right. Right. So, but, so I but if, to, if, if you have time, uh, Barbara, I'd like to talk a little bit about the inner journeys that we have to take. Absolutely, because you, go for you it. Started, you started that at the beginning, and um, all the things that I've been talking about today are, are seemingly on the outside, the things that we do on the outside and manifest on the outside. And before we go, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the inner journeys, which begins with don't be afraid. Uh-huh. Um, just in, in the in the Bible this this week was the phrase, do not be afraid. And so I looked it up in a concordance to see how many times. And in, in the Hebrew Bible, the word in any grammatical form, don't be afraid, appears well over 100 times. And if you add in the New Testament, it's 350 times. Don't be afraid. Now, why would the Bible tell us over and over again, don't be afraid? Because we are afraid. And so the first thing it is is to know that when we're in God's holy presence we we don't have to be afraid uh because we can be infused with God's love and grace
0: uh-huh. and then
2: and then the second thing is to have a spiritual intent um we when we open our hearts and our souls we we can enter into God's heart and soul and Listen, our egos make us very vulnerable, but when we set our intention to find God through a, a spiritual aspect of our beings, we will find God, and that's the way we're in oneness with God. And then, in the, particularly in this world where we're inundated with noise uh, from the whole world and the televisions and the radios and the, the people on the streets, um, it's the sounds of silence We have to find God in the, in the sounds of silence That quietness Where we can listen to God uh, and, and we can hear God And we can um, Plant and grow You know, People are afraid of the dark But the, the dark is, is You go into the void And that's where creation comes So you have to right. go into the darkness of silence To find new creation And then we have to Merge and flow, which means that uh, even though it could be difficult to surrender our egos, uh, we have to cleave to God's being. That is, to blend, to meld, to merge, and come in alignment, which is at one with God. Um, Buber called it the the I-Thou relationships between people. We can come into an I-Thou relationship with the eternal Thou, with God. And then sometimes we need to go into isolation. That is, to go to the deepest and the highest places within ourselves to uh, burn off our egos and to really be alone in reflection and introspection and discernment and self-evaluation. And then we come to self-understanding, where we delve into our psyches and our souls and come to understand what motivates and what drives us. And examine who we are, and ask that a measure of God's positive attributes be reflected in us. And find and and the last two would be to be in ecstasy. What a great joy it is! It's a it's a great great wonder to be in joy with God, to be in joy with with world with the world. We have a uh, we have a chapter in the book that says, "Be in joy, be happy." And then mm-hmm. finally, listen to, we've talked about listening before conversation is two ways with with God, and um, my uh, priest uh says to me, you know, Father O'Leary says, "You know, um, people think prayer has to be um, has to be uh long and involved. He said, "I have a very short prayer when I don't have time for a long prayer. I say, "I love you, I'm sorry, please help me. Thank you. That's a prayer." That's a, that's a prayer going into the innerness of our being and reaching outward to God. And um, a uh, late colleague of mine, uh, Rabbi Peter Noble, of blessed memory, had a very simple prayer. He said, Hello, God? Wow! Wow! <laughs> what an interesting world. And um, so there there are ways. Here I am. I'm ready to listen to your word and do your will, purify my heart to serve you in truth. Use me! There are all kinds of ways to go into that inner journey to be with God, to be with ourselves, to understand who we are. Because only when we understand who we are can we go out to the world and do the kinds of things that we were talking about in terms of being with, creating sacred community and doing sacred parenting and um, and uh, uh, sharing our love with the rest of the world.
1: Thank you. Absolutely, and. So often I have said I've had people say to me, I say the prayer, same prayer every night and I never get an answer. And it's, I, you know, my response to that is, I'm sure God hurt you the first time.
2: Why don't you try <laughs> being creative? That's that's, that's very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I heard you the first time. Yeah, I heard you.
1: I'm working on it. You know, be patient. You know, my my, my late mother
2: awesome. always. My late mother always said to me. You know, when you say a prayer at the synagogue, when you lead a prayer, you can say it in Hebrew or English. You don't have to say it in Hebrew or English. God understands both. You don't have to say it twice.
1: Right, and and you know, it's sort of like, and there are times that when I pray, I'm I'm thanking God for stuff instead of asking. You know, and and I, I think that that it, it's if you're saying the same thing over and over and over again, perhaps you have work to do in order to make that happen for yourself. Yes. You
2: know? Prayer prayer is really, it's a a trifold. Prayer is trifold. First is is praise. Second Uh is gratitude and thankfulness. And only third is petition to ask for things. And... um, Well, and...
1: I, I think there are times when I have asked—I've not asked for a particular thing. I've asked for the wisdom or the or the ability to 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 accomplish something myself.
2: Yes, and um, and from knowing you for this for a very little short time, it seems to me that God's answered your prayers. <laughs> he sure
1: has, a, and God a way answers of letting prayers me... too, just
2: like parents sometimes answer prayers, and sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. You know, I love you so much. I love you so much. I'm going to protect you, and know you can't go out and play in traffic.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, right.
1: and 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 or many times.
0: Yeah.
2: Or I will give you. Uh, you know, when you, when your kid was 16 and got his driver's license, so he yeah. said, "Mom, can I have the, car, the cars the keys to the car?" And you say, "Sure." And he goes out and he comes home at two in the morning. And you say, where were you? You know better than that to stay out at two in the morning. You're grounded. And he says to to you, Mom, that's not fair because you didn't tell me I had a curfew.
1: <laughs>
2: so we tell people a priori, we say, sure you can have the car keys. Your curfew is eleven. Be home by eleven. And the kid walks in at twelve thirty, and you, then you can say you're grounded because you knew a priori you knew the consequences. So it's the same thing. God has said to us all along: here are the rules. Please follow them. If you follow them mm-hmm. things will probably turn out pretty well for you. And if you don't, there will be consequences. And I'll even lay out the consequences for you. And God has to say to us too often, you didn't and here are the consequences and that's painful. And so yeah. we've got to learn. We've got to learn already. You know, when we when we when we fill the the cemeteries of our of our countries with the the treasured youth of our countries because we want Slightly larger borders or a slightly larger um, treasury. When greed and arrogance take over, then then we suffer the consequences, and the blood of our children fills the earth. And even if sure. we don't take it to that to that degree, God forbid. But it's the same lesson for um, big business and corporations these days. Your greed and your ignorance and your hubris can sink us. You need to be good citizens of the world. Sure, everybody's entitled to a profit. Everybody's entitled to make a living. Everybody's entitled to sell as much as you possibly can, but don't do it on the backs of people who suffer, people who can't afford what they need, people who don't have the money to pay for a box of cereal or a bottle of shampoo. Because yeah, it, it that, boggles,
1: it, it, there has there has to be an alternative to war. Has to be.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I
1: mean it does it doesn't make any sense. And to waste
2: We have to learn to love each other. Uh I'll tell you a story about that that friend of mine, Father O'Leary. We are walking on campus one day, and, you know, we used to hang out. People would see us, the rabbi in his yarmulke and the priest in his collar. And we'd eat in the deli, or we'd eat in the cafeteria with the kids, or or we'd, uh, he'd teach my class, I'd teach his class, um, and we'd just walk around. And um, one, ki- one day a young man ran up to us and said, Father, Father, Rabbi, Rabbi, could I speak with you? Of course. So he said, I want you to know that I see you guys walking around campus together, and I came here, I'm a junior undergraduate, And to tell you the truth, I never met a Jew in my life before I came here. And Father O'Leary turned to him and said, I never met a Jew until I was 21 years old. And the kid said, the young man said, well, I I have to admit that I came with some prejudice against the Jews because I had only heard bad things about them. He said, "But, but the two of you seem to be a living sermon. And if the two of you can get along so well and be friends, I guess I ought to meet some Jews and become friendly with them. (laughs) <laughs> person-to-person, one-to-one, break down the barriers, know each other in love.
1: Yeah. And and it's, it's never too late to start.
2: It's our That's, time. It's yeah, our time. It, it, I tell in the end of the book the story about that great uh, Native American tribe, which was world-famous for its rain dances. Every time it rain danced, rain came. And a whole bunch of other tribes danced and danced, and the rains never came. So somebody finally came to the chief and said, Chief, why is it that when your tribe dances, the rains come, and when the other tribes dance, often the rains don't come? And the chief looked at him and said, It's simple. We just keep dancing until it rains. So that's (laughs) what we have to do. We have to keep dancing. And that same Talmud said to us, there are singular moments in our lives when we can discern the entire reason for our existence. There are singular moments when we can know what we are doing here for these 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And that's one of those, it's our time. Our time has come. We have to keep dancing, and we have to uh, feel and sense and work to that new world, uh, the new world that's coming. And mm-hmm. we know that home is in the heart of love, and God is eagerly wa- waiting to welcome us home. So it's time. Namaste. The God in me acknowledges the absolutely. God in you, and I hope the God in you acknowledges the God in me.
1: I, You're absolutely, it's true. And I do think it is time for a new time, because humanity is, is I hope, I feel ready to to start to reweave itself together as opposed to the divisions that have happened and and it's it's impressive and and your book is is so fabulous it it, it gives everybody material to to work on to to acknowledge within themselves it gives i mean it it's just such a wonderful read it's it's unbelievable and it touches people in in the right place, so right place, right time, and I well, can't wait to see what happens with it.
2: Thank you. I'm, I'm utterly uh, once again honored and humbled by your statement at the beginning that this should be mandatory reading for every college freshman class. That's, I mean, that, that higher praise couldn't be. Barbara, thank you so much.
1: Well, it's it's um, it it's genuine, um, and I just noticed my time is almost up, so. Um I want to I want to thank you so much. I would I would love to have you on again and get into more of this material. And uh if if you're open to it, I think that would it would be wonderful to put more of this out there.
2: I'd be delighted. 2 hours is a long time. So I hope I have 4 hours worth of stuff to talk about, but I'd be <laughs> I'd be delighted.
1: Well, you're over 21, so I'm sure you do. Um but but I, I i thank you again and i want to thank everybody for being here it's it's been um probably one of the most uh beneficial joyful exciting 2 hours i've had in a long time um check us out on youtube and uh let us know what you think uh subscribe if you like what you hear if you don't go to another channel and find something that's even better but um The only way we know you're listening is by the subscription. So thank you so much everybody. Take a wonder, take, have a wonderful day, have a wonderful life, celebrate, be joyful, be loving, and remember who you are and what you are.